Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Isn't that a great way to end the Christmas season? Wow. Fantastic. And happy Boxing Day to everyone. (laughs) Do you know that Boxing Day is really an official holiday in all of the nations that are associated with the British Empire, including our good friends to the north, the Canadians? Well, it used to be a day for giving gifts to all of the hired household servants. So remember today, those people, when you get home, who are scurrying about cooking your dinner, washing your carriages, and waiting on your beck and call. Well, today in the United States, a Boxing Day has actually become the most popular day to return gifts after Christmas Day. <laughs> and you know, if your house looks anything like ours did yesterday, Uh, we had a lot of boxes on the floor. In some uh, houses, there are kids who had played with all the toys that they had opened, and after a while, they lose their glitter, and they kind of uh, get tired of them, and then they start to play with their cardboard boxes. Do you know that the cardboard box was inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame in 2008? That's true. The normal, ordinary cardboard box. Who doesn't like a cardboard box and an imagination? Well, as we look back at our church here, Liberty Bible Church, over the last month, uh, we've celebrated this season of Christmas with three Christmas concerts, four Christmas Eve services, a movie night, a gingerbread nativity, and a partridge in a pear tree. We've heard the carols of Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah over the last few weeks. And today we can pause for a moment to reflect again on Jesus' birth and the real meaning of Christmas. Today we're going to hear the carol of glory, the, uh, the sound of the angels singing, echoing through the halls of heaven from the beginning of creation into eternity. One of our family traditions at Christmas has been to read the Christmas story before we open up our gifts under the tree out of uh, Luke's Gospel. Well, have any of you seen the, uh, the very famous 51-year-old movie, Charlie Brown Christmas? Can you believe, first of all, it's 51 years old? I think it's timeless. Well, my, my favorite scene in that whole film is when, at the end of the film, after they've gathered all the props and the Charlie Brown Christmas tree and all the characters for the Christmas play, uh, Linus stands up with his blanket and he recites from memory uh, this passage from Luke 2. Now we're going to read it together, but uh, uh, when we get to, I'm going to start to read it. When we get to verse 14, and I'll give you your cue, you're going to be Linus today. I want you to join in with the angelic host as we uh, say in unison the same words that they did with the same enthusiasm and excitement 
of the angels. So let's read Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now get ready. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told them. That's the end of the story. Well, today we're going to see a bit of uh, the glory, the carols of glory. First, we're going to discover that Jesus is born. Glory to God. And this glory is going to transform the ordinary things of life. This glory is not just a moment in time, but this glory is for now and for eternity. And this glory changes our lives. Glory to God. Jesus is born. Going back to verses 6 and 7, we read, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, many scholars think that the Roman census was given about every 14 years. I've heard five to 14 years. Well, rather than having everyone travel to Rome and march through the gate in order to be counted, and the Roman Empire was huge at the time, 
uh, they come, came up with a better plan. In fact, they decentralized their approach. The officials were sent out into the towns and the villages to collect taxes and to register everyone. Now, you might recall in 2020, we had a United States census. Did anyone take part in that? I would say everyone in this room should have taken part in it somehow or other. Well, I discovered also that by October 13th, 2020, they claim that well over 99.9% of housing units had been counted for in the census. 99.9% by October 13th. Kristen and I were in Michigan City around October 14th, which had been the day after the census, and we were kind of stalking out a coffee shop on the lakeshore in Michigan City and ran into someone on this beautiful fall day who looked very lost. In fact, she was wandering the neighborhood. She was a census taker. Come to discover now that this lady was probably checking on that last 0.1% of the households that hadn't yet been counted. Well, our census today is, was pretty easy. I mean, it was a hassle. You had to get online or whatever to be counted. But we have it easy compared to Mary and Joseph. Today, demanding that everyone leave their homes, careers, their schools, to travel to their ancestral city to be counted, that would be absurd. But of course, the Roman rulers didn't really care about the common people. So the census disrupted their lives. Uh, this was especially true for the Jewish people because their land had been occupied by the Romans. It was just one more intrusion from the enemy. And your average Joe and Mary, as it were, they didn't have any choice but to comply with the census. So they got out, and the route to Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was, uh, could have been 90 miles on foot. Imagine that. Likely they traveled in a caravan. And the inns were not like today's hotels with a water park attached. Rather, it could have been just a large rented room in someone's home that was shared by a whole bunch of other smelly travelers. The journey could have taken a week or even more to make that trip. And then by the time they were counted, they had to walk all the way back. Well, we often see pictures of Joseph walking as Mary's riding on a donkey. Have any of you ever rode on a horse or a donkey? I've never been on a donkey. I've seen them go down the Grand Canyon. But I can't imagine that it's your smoothest ride, especially for a pregnant mom-to-be. But you know, the Gospels don't exactly tell us how Mary got there. Uh, she could have gone on a donkey. That would have been awfully nice of Joseph to get one for her. But we do know that the Roman census got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem at just the right moment in history for prophecy to be fulfilled. Jesus' birth was the culmination of thousands of years of prophecy and the longings of God's people for a Messiah, and even the heavenly hosts, which we've heard today singing, uh, they knew from the, from the beginning of creation and the fall that God would bring a redeemer to them. 
Micah 2.5 tells us, this was written 700 years before Jesus was born. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem was a very important city, not because of any earthly reason. In fact, it was a very small city at the time. But God had a special plan for that Bethlehem. Do you know I also discovered that there were two Bethlehems in Israel? So it just happened to be the right one that they, uh, they ended up in. Well, our second point is that glory is transforming the ordinary. Here the shepherds are watching their flocks. The angels appear. Now, I think we can... Uh, we can't even fathom the surprise that these men must have felt. You know, they had never seen street lights or strobe lights or lighthouses or special effects, anything other than the moon and the stars that would light up their night sky. And suddenly, there was a bright heavenly host that appeared to them with a divine message just for them. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This was a very special day. It was a very special place. And a very special person was being born. Verse 11 tells us, on this day, it was a special time. It wasn't some ambiguous someday, one day. No, it was a point in time that was prophesied long ago. It was a special place. It was Bethlehem, the city of David. Our eternal King Jesus was born in the birthplace of King David, his hometown of Bethlehem. Do you know that Bethlehem means house of bread? During his ministry, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is our bread of life. He's a special person. He's the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. And he has a special purpose. He is the Messiah. The baby in the manger is our Savior. Listen to this very interesting perspective that comes from the year 1828. It's written by the dictionary writer Daniel Webster. He defined the term savior, and I will quote, one who saves or preserves, but properly applied only to Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, who has opened the way to everlasting salvation by his obedience and death and who is therefore called the Savior by way of distinction, the Savior of men, the Savior of the world. And this was written about 50 years after the Revolutionary War. He said, General Washington may be called the Saver, but not the Savior of this country. That was Daniel Webster. I like his dictionary. 
This baby had a specific world-changing job to do, saving us from sin that had entered the world through Adam and Eve. So the baby in the manger is Christ, which means the anointed one or the Messiah. He's the chosen one of Israel who redeems his people from the power of sin and death. He's our master, the supreme being, Jehovah. Revelation 19, 6 through 7 describes worship that's heard in heaven back then and even now. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult to give him glory. Back in Luke 2.12, our story continues as we look into the stable. It's a sign for the shepherds, and it's a sign for Mary. So we're going to see some normal, unusual, and miraculous events. The shepherds find a swaddled baby. Well, that's pretty normal. Back in that time, mothers would swaddle their babies. That wasn't that unusual. But he was resting in an animal feeding trough. That's a little unusual, one might say. Mary gives birth. Now, that's normal, but under the circumstances, humanly speaking, it's miraculous and amazing. He was born in a barn, visited by shepherds who had seen an angel just as she had seen an angel. Now, that's unusual and miraculous. Imagine Mary and Joseph, tired from their travels, giving birth to their newborn. They were surprised by the shepherds that day who told them of the angel's visit. Think of Mary feeling exhausted. She just had a baby, emotional, nervous. It was her first baby. And she was in a new city away from her usual support system. She was excited, and maybe she was a little curious. How did she reconcile the birth of this baby with the information that the angels had given her months before? Did she care for him any differently? Did she talk to him any differently? Was this baby really the Son of God? Did Mary ever start to doubt? She may not have been feeling very glorious at this moment. But into this picture marches a, 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 a straggly bunch of strangers running from the field, probably smelling like sheep. They're running, they're seeking, they're exclaiming, all of them trying to tell the same story at the very same time, running out of breath. At this point, the carols of that first Christmas start to come together. The carol of the angel to Elizabeth, the carol of the angel to Mary, the carol of the angels to the shepherds, all of them preparing for the birth of this baby boy, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, our Lord. Now, the shepherds were common people with a common occupation, just doing their normal routine, watching the sheep, watching out for dangerous animals. 
maybe talking around the campfire, certainly not expecting anything but a quiet night with the sheep. Uh, Sheep are fairly quiet animals, by the way. Aren't you glad that God uses ordinary people, just like you and me, to do extraordinary things, all in his power? So our third point is that we celebrate glory now and for eternity. The first angel who visited them is joined by a multitude of angels saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The book of Daniel uses that word multitude to say 10,000 times 10,000. Anyone have a calculator? That's a lot of angels when there was a host of angels in the heavens. If the shepherds were amazed before, think how they must feel now. The angels give two welcome statements, glory to God and peace on earth. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How great a privilege is that for us today, to to, uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. And like the angelic host, we can participate in glorifying God. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And God desires peace for us on earth. That phrase, uh, peace on earth to whom favor rests, is a little sneak peek into the gospel. It's the good news of God's salvation to us, his great plan. We can have peace with God because of a tiny baby that was born with the plan of his death, resurrection, and reconciliation for us in his salvation. And that is the true gift of Christmas. Our fourth point is that glory changes our lives. When we're close to someone who's glorious, our lives are changed. When Moses went up on the mountain, remember the Shekinah glory settled upon him and he had to, he had to cover his face because he was so glorious. People couldn't even see him. He, they were blind him, blinded, almost like looking in the sun. Well, today we looked at the Christmas story the birth of Jesus that we celebrated yesterday. And if you're like our family, we're also celebrating today, again, which is good. But this week, we're also going to be celebrating a new year, believe it or not. The year 2022 is coming upon us. And as you know, the Christmas story doesn't end at Christmas. It's a cause for rejoicing the whole year long. So let's uh, pivot a bit and see how we can take the Christmas story into the new year. Verse 19 and 20 says, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as as they had been told. So in this These two verses, I see uh, four key verbs. First, return, ponder, glorify, 
and praise. In these verses, Luke writes about Mary and the shepherds. And let's take a minute and see how we can apply them to our new year. Well, first of all, the shepherds returned to their work. It's not like they were, their occupation changed when the angels came down. They returned to the mundane, normal routine of their daily activities. But they were changed on the inside. Can you imagine those shepherds? They must have told this story to everyone that they knew, probably for the rest of their life. They would go up to that hill where they saw the angels, and they would look around and think, are they coming back? (laughs) Am I going to see this again? It changed their lives, and Jesus changes our lives as well. So can we join with these eyewitnesses in sharing the story of God's news with others? Luke says that Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. Uh, The Oxford English Dictionary defines ponder as think, reflect deeply, meditate, contemplate, muse, or wonder. It's not just a quick passing thought that that goes through their brain. Uh, These are things that they give a lot of brain time to. And Mary, of course, was a new mom, and she pondered all of these things in her heart, the announcement, the birth, the surprise visitors, the tiny little fingers and toes of her new baby boy. But I have to ask myself, what am I pondering in my heart every day? Do I need to make any changes in the new year on the things that I think about and mull about and contemplate? What am I giving shelf space in my brain? And it's easy to say that it doesn't matter what I put into my head, the books that I read, who I watch or listen to. I'm determining that I need more downtime in 2022, some downtime for pondering, as Mary did, to set aside uh, time in my schedule and my life to consider the good things that God has done for me. How about you? I would encourage you to think of that in 2022. God has great things for us to be putting into our minds. The psalmist David said, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. He also asks God to help form his thoughts. He says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what does God want me to think about? He wants us to think thoughts of praiseworthy things. Paul answered that question when he wrote in Philippians, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, is anything excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. If we focus our mind and our thoughts on those great things of God, all of the rest just seems uh, kind of peripheral, doesn't it? All the troubles and trials of our life. Let's focus on Jesus in 2022. So it's easy to do that, right? Well, not not really. 
So as we consider our New Year's resolution about the, our fitness, maybe, you know, uh, the gyms are open January 1st and 2nd. Encourage you to come and join us there. Or relationships or finances. I encourage you, like Mary, to ponder those things in your heart. And even the shepherds thought great thoughts of God, too. They glorified and praised God. It wasn't the angels glorifying and praising, uh, but that praise was contagious. Praise and glory are nearly the same, but they're also a little different. Uh, praise is a spoken word. It's, it's a written word. It's a song. We sing praise to God. Glory is an action. It's the way that we show something is important to us. It's a way that we show that something is the best. And God is the best. How do our actions portray that God is the glorious one? Words of praise are recorded in the Bible from beginning to end. In Exodus, when God led the people through the Red Sea, Miriam, Moses' sister, said in a song, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He's my God, and I will praise him. And at the end of God's word in Revelation, we read, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. When we ponder the goodness and faithfulness of God, we can't help but praise him. When we worship God today, as we began singing, we praised him. When we talk to a friend and we say, hey, guess what God did for me today? We're praising him. When we sing at the top of our lungs in the car when no one else is around, we're praising him. Uh, John Piper said it, the climax of God's happiness is the delight he takes in the echoes of his excellence in the praises of his people. Glory, glory, glory. Glory means to give honor. The angels saw the birth of Jesus. They glorified God for what was happening. The shepherds saw baby Jesus, and they glorified God. But of course, that's not the end of the story. We can still see God's hand at work in our lives. We can read and hear his teaching from his word. We can't let it become so familiar that there's no response. Our response should be glory to God. To live in such a way that there's no question about the fact that we think God is worthy of our praise and our honor. Jonathan Edwards, the great New England pastor and theologian said, the, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for the joy in that glory and that these two are one passion. As we reflect on this Christmas season and we look forward to 2022, let's resolve like Mary, the angels, the shepherds to ponder, to praise, and to glorify God because Jesus is born. First Chronicles 16.9 says, Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wondrous acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Amen. 
Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.